it gets harder and harder to get any kind of organic traffic because basically Facebook has gotten better and better and better at figuring out how to make you pay to get access to audience. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, will prove the naysayers wrong. Content is king. They've been saying that for as long as I can remember. They probably told it to Shakespeare, but nowhere is that saying truer than in the online world. So much so that it's enabled the emergence of a new vocation, creator, a content producer whose work primarily lives online. Today's guest, Jack, is one of them. His so-described metaverse studio, Disrupt, creates virtual entertainment. His revenue is primarily from YouTube, where Disrupt boasts over 1.2 million subscribers. But that's the problem. Creators are largely beholden to the YouTubes, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and the TikToks of the world. They don't own their platform. They don't own their customers. That's why Jack is trying to transition his exclusive content to places he can own. And getting that strategy right can make all the difference to whether he barely survives or thrives. Hi, Jack. Welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm kind of excited about this one because you are actually a master of a category I'm trying to figure out myself, which is one of the reasons I get so much out of these conversations. I think the best way to start, actually, would be for you to kind of just to tell people what are you working on? What do you do? And then maybe you can figure out a way to naturally segue into what you may want to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I um, run a studio called Disrupt, and we're a multimedia content studio. So right now, our primary focus is releasing free mini documentaries on YouTube. And our revenue primarily comes from that platform. So automated Google advertisements that are placed in the videos itself. And uh, we also add on brand integrations, merch sales, and an off-site streaming platform that viewers can subscribe to. I would say like the main hurdle that I'm trying to work through, and I'd love your input on, is with the nature of building a business off of Google advertisements, the revenue seems to fluctuate very rapidly month to month based on video performance, algorithms. My question is, how would one handle revenue that is so unstable every 30 days? <laughs> well, let's back up a little bit just to make sure I understand what's going on here. And is it safe to simplify it and say you have a YouTube channel? Is that 
the simplest way to think about it? Or is this a different category? Is this more complicated than that? Yeah, that's how I describe it. It sounds like you release these mini features. How frequently? About two times a month. Okay, so 24 per year. So every two weeks or so, a new one comes out and you get compensated not directly by YouTube for traffic generation, but based on the advertising that Google places alongside your video, proportionate to how many times it gets shown? That's correct. Okay, and how long are the videos? They range anywhere from seven minutes to 30 minutes. Have you experimented with different lengths, different release frequencies? Is two per month about all you can possibly do? Or have you kind of honed in on that's some optimized way for handling the algorithm? Yes. Yeah, so that's, I would say, where my current capabilities and the, the small team that we have working on it, that's our current limit. I'm certainly not a YouTube expert. If anyone looks at my YouTube channel, they would know that in about a second. So it's with tremendous hesitance that I even want to comment on this at all. The YouTube ecosystem, has it evolved that there's some people who post super frequently and they make it work, but they get fewer views per piece of content. Some who, in fact, post less frequently than you, but they make it work by having way more views. In other words, is this one of those things where people are trying to fill all these individual niches? Is there a best practice? And the only reason I mention that is, of course, the only ones that I really know of are the people who are on a very high posting frequency. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a mix. I think there are certain channels that have the ability to release high frequency videos, whether it be a few times a week, maybe every day, I would say they have more of a stable viewership. And there's other channels that I would imagine we fall more into line with, which is maybe higher quality or higher length videos, but released less frequently. So your question has a couple of dimensions to it. One way of answering it is basically, how do you make it work with YouTube and with Google to smooth out the revenue? And of course, you probably know the answer to that way better than I do. And so I'm gathering that you're really trying to figure out, how do I get out of Google's clutches? How do I begin to build revenue streams that are independent of the number of views that may happen to get on YouTube. Is that kind of what you're really curious about here? Yeah, that's definitely one dimension of it. Seems fairly stable. I'd say the other half of that would be how to actually manage the cash flow when one month I can cover expenses and have some left over and another month we're just scraping. Well, that one is a, certainly a straightforward one. I mean, how long have you been doing this for? Two years full time. So you have basically 24 months of history of what your volume is. Are you worried that all of a sudden it's going to go back to zero? Listen, lots and lots and lots of companies have erratic cash flows. I mean, for example, I do a fair amount of work with a clothing brand, Chubby's, which makes shorts dominantly. Of course, they make all kinds of other clothing too, but dominantly shorts and dominantly bathing suits. And as you can imagine... What a surprise. They sell a ton more in the spring and the early summer than they happen to sell in November. 
yes, they do spend a little bit of time thinking about how do we generate more revenue in the third and fourth quarter than we do in the first. And, and so we're not as dependent on what happens in the first and second quarter. But the other way is they've kind of reconciled themselves to the fact that they happen to have a seasonal brand. And what they've done is devised, first of all, a comfort with the fact that they're going to have huge variations in revenue and cash flow from quarter to quarter, as well as designed a whole operating system that says we have to be very, very careful about how we do full-time employees. Because if we hired enough full-time people to handle the peaks in Q1 and Q2, we have people sitting on their hands in uh, Q3 and Q4. It's that old expression, and they probably don't even use that anymore, but the expression used to be, you don't want to build the phone system for Mother's Day. Of course, Mother's Day being supposedly the peak phone demand day of the whole year. And you don't want to scale out the infrastructure for that one day because then most of it sits vacant for the great majority of the year. In other words, recognize the fact that you can't predict the algorithm. You can't predict which of yours is going to be a hit because it's not dependent necessarily on quality, but it's dependent on factors far beyond your control. And you're going to have some that go shooting way up and generate great cash flow, and then some ones that are way down. And you just have to say, that is the way it is. And I have to begin thinking about what is my annual revenue and divide that into 12 equal pieces and say, that's what I could afford to spend. This is probably not necessarily giving you a satisfactory answer because it's so obvious, but it certainly is one thing to do is that have some confidence that you're going to have a reasonable hit rate, that you're going to get it right. You're going to have a big hit, one out of every four, and you're going to have a moderate one, the second one, and the other two are going to be mediocre to poor. And this budget yourself accordingly. But maybe there's a way we can talk about to say, how do you build a business that's less dependent on these peaks and valleys? When I um, was getting ready to come on the call with you, I went back and listened to the voicemail that you left me. And I think you alluded to a whole bunch of other channels of revenue. You want to run through some of those for me? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one would be brand integrations. So a company will reach out and request that we create, say, like a 30 to 40 second advertisement within our content. The second one would be merchandise sales, so t-shirts, posters that are sold off-site. And the last one would be a streaming platform uh, similar to Patreon, where viewers can pay a monthly subscription and get access to behind-the-scenes or exclusive content. And how are those doing? They're good. I'd say cumulative total is about 15% of uh, revenue. The Patreon-like product is there a market for subscriber video content at that level? Is this a common thing? Do a lot of content creators use something like that? It's like only fans for video, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Are you doing it on Patreon? No, we're probably built a separate website. Of your own? Correct. Interesting. Yeah, again, I'm not fluent necessarily in that category. It would seem that it would be a fairly interesting space. There's a site called Substack for people who are newsletter publishers or bloggers. It's a subscription platform, and it's become really popular as a way to monetize blog content or newsletter content. So much so that people are basically walking away from bigger publications and saying, why can't I do this myself? Substack handles all the infrastructure and the billing, and all the creator has to do is A, create the content, and then B, just figure out some way to attract and retain the people who want to see it. Have you tried going cross-platform where you're releasing things on multiple platforms simultaneously? Or is YouTube pretty much the best place for that length and the subject you're working on? 
No, I haven't tried it. I'm not opposed to it. I think my focus has just been on YouTube. Yeah, I guess here's the thing. I would agree with you. It would be terrifying to be building a business upon a platform which you have almost no control over. And I feel for content creators who are basically becoming brand famous on places like certainly on Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube, because although you're creating followers, you never really own those followers. YouTube owns those followers and Instagram owns those followers and Facebook owns those followers. And they're going through a very, very established business model where they try and attract as many users as they can using your content to attract people and then beginning to charge you for access to your own followers. Or even worse, in your case, being capricious about where they choose to allocate views. It's what makes, in some ways, some of the newer platforms interesting because they're still allowing for organic growth. It's not yet pay to play. TikTok, in some ways, is like that. Clubhouse is certainly like that. But wow, again, going back to Chubbies, who built a lot of their initial brand on Facebook advertising, it gets harder and harder and harder to get any kind of organic traffic because basically Facebook has gotten better and better and better at figuring out how to make you pay to get access to audience. So the one quick answer is you're doing the exact right thing, which is to worry about this. And my suggestion is that you probably need to begin shifting your focus away from YouTube, even if it's at the expense of short-term revenue and recognize that you are the boiled frog here that the longer you wait, the harder it is to escape. So what do you think would happen if you began to double, for example, back up, for the content that you place on your own website behind a paywall, how different is that content? In the past, it's been maybe behind the scenes content, so updates, but I would like to move into content that has a similar sort of vibe or aesthetic as content that is available for free, but more detached from what is available for free. So like original series and whatnot. What would happen if you tried that? Just go all in. I guess the scary part, let me put words in your mouth, is that uh, basically you're putting something out every two weeks. You are relying on that boost of revenue that you get from putting that out onto YouTube. And if you take something that you were planning on putting onto YouTube in general and put it behind the paywall and it gets 10% of the views it would, or in other words, it generates way, way less revenue, that hurts a lot. Is that probably what you're going, I don't know about doing that? Yes. Perhaps this is just one of those questions of courage where maybe you have to find something to see what you can possibly do. I mean, listen, one option, and this is always the case, is you do nothing. You become like a company with highly seasonal revenue and you go, I just have to get used to the fact that it's going to fluctuate all the time and I'll just keep creating great content. Hopefully the numbers will get bigger and bigger and I have to accept the fact that some of them are hits for reasons beyond my control and some of them uh, are not hits for reasons beyond my control. And I build a structure of business which can handle that. The other one is you need to be simultaneously building the lifeboat while you're uh, sailing the ship. And it certainly warrants beginning to put increasing focus on what needs to happen to get you to a better place and begin to think about how do you do your own self-promotion? Okay, let's just take a hypothetical here. All right, 
I'll give you two hypotheticals because now I'm kind of getting a, a sense of this. You do have to double down and create one extra piece of content. So in one month, you do three of them. Purely so you have something great you can put behind the paywall and begin playing with. And the first thing you find out is when it's real content behind the paywall, not just behind the scenes or deleted scenes or whatever interviews, whatever else you're normally putting there. But when it's really the premier content behind the paywall, wall, what happens? What does the ratio of views have to be to get you to a break-even scenario? And that's just your starting point. Because listen, if you're incredibly lucky, you go, oh my gosh, what I get paid per thousand views by Google, I can make that by getting one out of every 10,000 people to watch it behind the paywall. But I don't know what the arithmetic is, but the first step in this formula is saying, what does that ratio look like when I have real content there rather than behind the scenes content there? But I think the really interesting part is when you begin to say, how do I build this freemium model? How do I begin using this content I do continue to put out on the free YouTube? Because I wouldn't stop that. You have a lot of followers. That's a tremendous asset. But your now question is, how do I use this asset to begin building my rainy day fund? How do I begin using this to drive traffic from this place where the revenue is in someone else's hands into the revenue which is in my hands. So for example, this is gonna sound stupid because I am not a short content producer. So don't take these as literal. You put a commercial at the middle of your seven minute film. Uh, never mind, that's crazy. But you put one at the beginning. You do trailers. You do a trailer at the beginning. You do a trailer at the end for this piece of content which is behind the paywall. You begin figuring out other ways that you can use your YouTube channel to promote what's behind the paywall, but not promoting the behind the scenes for something that someone has to have watched first, but basically trying to create some totally different place to find totally different content. And if you don't start, you'll never get there. You may in fact go, A, doesn't work. No one does it. Or it slightly works. And no matter what I do, I can't seem to drive my numbers up to enough to make it work. Fine. It may not work, but you've got to start trying some stuff if you do want to begin generating this number. Oh, great. Now I got some other things to talk about. The other thing that I was going to mention is if you're limited in how much that you can create, maybe you could use your asset to help promote other people's content. For acts, you begin building your own mini channel. You begin bringing other creators who go out onto your YouTube channel. You begin putting them behind your paywall. You begin saying, I can't create enough myself to make it economically viable. Maybe I could promote other people's at some different type of revenue share to make it viable. Again, I don't know the details, just ways to think about how to begin shifting your revenue stream from one to the other. The last thing I'll say, I think, is in all of this, what I salute you for is the fact that you recognize this is not a long-term viable situation to be in, or put it this way, that you're concerned about this being this long-term scenario. So it's fantastic you've all of a sudden begun to think about where do I go next? What I was going to say is that the biggest advice you can give someone in that scenario is that if you don't know exactly what you want, the odds of you getting there are pretty slim. and what usually helps is to save yourself a primary metric which you look at every month. And I would imagine that right now your primary metric is probably views or it's probably monetizable views and I'm not sure what the other metrics that YouTube gives you that you can drive toward. But I think a great metric for you to start using 
would be what percentage of your revenue is coming from the online, from the primary channel versus your secondary channels. And set yourself this goal over the next 12 months to say, I want to go up 2% per month for the next 12 months, which means you're going to go from 15 to what would that be? 39% of your revenue coming from non-Google AdWord supported or Google ad supported revenue, which will make you begin to allocate certain cycles of your day toward brainstorming. What can I do this month to begin pushing a slightly more percentage of revenue over to my non-YouTube channels? It'll just help you, I think, focus that it's a critical piece that you need to get right. It'll be simultaneously pushing you to say, how can I come up with better products to sell? How can I be more clever about my brand integrations so that I can begin to charge more for them? I intuitively think that the way that you're going to really escape this trap is by building a Jack TV or Jack Tube or whatever uh, you're eternally going to refer to it as, rather than having all your content be under someone else's monetization control. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I don't know if that makes sense, but I hope it's helpful. You're in a complicated business, but you have the most important ingredients, which is you have the creative talent, clearly. You have the capabilities to do this. You have a following. And probably the most important thing is you've realized I have to do something about this so I don't become the boiled frog. I'm friends with a few social media content stars who have very, very big followings and realized not long ago, acknowledged, probably is a better word for it, that the half-life of a social media influencer star is very, very short and that they had better begin thinking about how they're going to diversify their income, how they're going to begin to leverage their talented success in this one narrow, highly capricious business into other opportunities that may in fact have more longevity, even if it means in the short term, stepping away from the thing which at the current moment is the golden goose. And I think that you're probably in a very, very similar situation. You have to simultaneously see how do I continue to build my business on YouTube since that's where I've seen the success. But you've got to put the cycles to saying, how do I begin to use that success to move revenue, eyeballs, monetization opportunities to a platform I control? I wish you could hear some of my conversations with my own team who helps me with a lot of what I do, where I'm pushing us to do things which seem old fashioned, which is, you know, don't laugh, but building an email list, capturing people's emails who are interested in what I have to say. Because even though I can get followers on the social media platforms, I'll never own that asset. The only asset that I can really own is my website traffic and my email list. And I'm willing to sacrifice doing a suboptimal job on the social media side of it in favor of being able to build the asset which I actually could own. And I think it's at a much smaller scale than what you're talking about. And I'm fortunate in that, thank God, I don't need to make a living on my social media efforts, but I'm doing the same thing. And it probably is, I think you're doing the right thing too. Just do it harder. Yeah, right on. Can I ask another question? No, please. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, right on. Yeah, I think another angle that is one, a motivator, but two, it's definitely a different angle that I am just recently having to navigate in that I had a co-founder previously and the relationship wasn't working out. So I purchased back those shares. So I'm currently on a um, quarterly payment plan to buy back those shares completely. At the moment, I'm able to meet those 
payments per quarter. But my questioning comes how I would navigate maybe taking an initial hit in the beginning to build a secondary revenue source offsite and still be able to meet those payments versus like reinvesting the extra cash back into content. I totally hear you. The first thing I'll do is I'll acknowledge that it's easy to say, be prepared to sacrifice your present to do the right thing in the future. But for you, being able to sacrifice current revenue to invest in what the future might be is especially difficult because you have obligations. And it's the same thing about having someone walk away from their something when they have car payments and mortgages. And I recognize the risk threshold goes way, way, way up. So I don't want to be superficial and say, oh, just just do it. Because I recognize that's not easy. I think in this scenario, it may require to the degree that you're still on reasonably decent terms with this person to see if they're willing to acknowledge the value of what you're doing. Which means that it could be some sort of circumstance where you say, for whatever you're willing to short-term forego now, it could be 20% more if you're willing to wait a year while this happens. Or some way of structuring it so that in the event, if this person is patient with the repayment or is willing to accept the fact that you'll pay out of a different stream when that stream comes online and you can do so perhaps a bit better and make it worth their while to wait, it may require some creative negotiation. And the other one could be, and I'm willing to acknowledge this, that because of this, because of how much of your cash flow these risk repayment plan requires, that you can't do it until, or you certainly can't do it in a way that risks revenue until you've gotten through the repayment. Quite frankly, I don't see any other way around that. I mean, I guess the third one is you go, okay, well, you're going to have to figure out how to do this without being willing to take the step back from your current scenario. And maybe you can do that. Maybe all you can really do is say, I can't afford to not use every piece of long form content that I have as part of the primary offering. And so all I can continue to do is offer the behind the scenes footage. I'm just going to have to figure out a way to be more clever about how I promote that. Now my metric becomes what percentage of the people who viewed the original chose to subscribe to the secondary one. What can I do to promote that availability more extensively, et cetera. So I acknowledge it's a reality and you'll have to figure out some way to dance around it. I don't think it takes you off the hook entirely, especially if you're on the hook for this person for years and years and years. Then you'll go down the tubes trying to make payments to your ex-partner. A tough one. Don't give up, though. There's a way through. There always is. Yeah, it's fun, though. There's a wrench in things. It's like a video game. (laughs) (laughs) Figure it out. It is. Unfortunately, you're on level 36. You've gotten a lot further than most people. You're getting into the bonus rounds now. So hang in there. I think it's interesting, Jack. I think that um, the problems that come with having achieved some level of success And now saying, how do I optimize for this are wonderful problems to have. The fact that you even have revenue at all that fluctuates puts you in a category which most YouTube content creators would kill for. And so what you do now is going to put you into an even higher tier if you can figure out some way to begin saying, how do I give myself some time, a couple years to begin moving a larger percentage of my revenue off of YouTube. And of course, the advantage, which even more dramatic, besides just this long-term self-protection, is hopefully it'll be considerably more regular, especially if your paywall-protected content is subscription, meaning that uh, that revenue 
comes in month after month after month at a relatively stable rate. And we could talk at some point for a long time about the benefits of how to manage a subscription business, but sounds like you're already starting on that one as well. Well, Jack, I'm going to let you go. I think uh, you've got some thinking to do, as they say, but I do think you'll get this one figured out. Lots of people are struggling with this. I wouldn't be surprised if it's sometime soon someone does. In fact, we might even hear about it. If someone knows about one, feel free to leave it in the comments on the website of a platform that in fact does offer a back-end system for being able to manage subscription video. Sounds like there's a need for it. And I hope that you get successful in building out what you're working on. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been uh, really cool to hear your insights. Appreciate it. Well, good luck. And I'll ask you one last thing, which is let's check back in in, I don't know, six or nine months. I'm curious to see if any of this ends up resonating and if you're able to make any progress, perhaps doing something completely different. But most importantly, good luck. And uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thanks. Jack has a lot to juggle as he grows his business. But it's impressive that he's already thinking about how to transition to a more self-reliant model. And it doesn't hurt that his content is good enough to have amassed a sizable following. There are a lot of ways to go from here, and certainly a lot of reasons for Jack to get creative, especially with some of his financial obligations. But he's equal parts level-headed and visionary. So when I follow up with Jack down the road, I expect he'll have made some great progress. Well, that's all for today, and thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at M.B. Randolph or on Instagram at That Will Never Work. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.